And welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Ah. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah, ah, hey, it's Tuesday, so we're coming at you back to our normal schedule. So, coming at you here on uh, a Tuesday night, kind of quiet. Yeah, it is a peaceful Tuesday night in Michigan. Uh, we're, we're told snow is forthcoming. Well, but it's Michigan in February, so, you know, you can only expect so much. I have no faith in weathermen. I don't blame you. Um, yeah, uh, even the groundhog is like, Michigan, you just do you. <laughs> ah, yes. A fickle rodent cannot be trusted. Yeah, spring for the rest of you, but uh, Michigan, uh, you know, you just, uh, whatever is going on up there, just, uh, that's... Oh, he could be distracted by a pile of discarded peanut shells. You know, mm-hmm. No weather prognostications from him. And I don't trust that hippie druid either. No, he yeah. always smells like patchouli. Man. Woke and up with one morning like and that bridges and a big Lebowski. Woke up one morning and his badger companion was braiding my hair. Just, yeah, just don't trust him. Um, badger named Steve. Steve. So yeah, so coming at you tonight, uh, we've got some topic for you. Of course, it's Topic Tuesday, so that's the thing. And also talking about some of uh, the things going on in the gaming world. Uh, it's kind of been quite a new release from Wizards of the Coast, the uh, a Critical Role group, putting out some uh, official content of their own. So that's kind of interesting to see. So I've seen that's uh, raised some eyebrows here and there on the interwebs. And Maybe good for them. The Wilds or Wildemount uh, campaign or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, not uh, not as big a uh, critical role fan as my wife, but uh, she enjoys it. And you know what? I, I uh, sit often when it's playing in the background and listen, so you know it's good stuff. I don't qualify as a shameless fanboy because or critter, as they call them. Oh, okay. Nice use of the the term. I like that. Critters. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm not a true critter. You know, I. <laughs> I, I only follow sporadically, but I also find it very entertaining, and I wish them the best of luck, because I, I think that it has really helped the brand and the game, and mm-hmm. also shown people flexibly how much can be aimed for uh, with your own creativity. That you know. <laughs> And it may be a group of people who are considerably uh, more practiced and talented, making the game look a little more polished than it would normally be. But, got to say, I like the results. Uh, and people seem to enjoy it and emulate it and come to the table hoping to make something like that for themselves. So, cannot disapprove. Um, I find it hard to get uh, really uh, against them just based on the fact that some people out there seem to holler and uh, be at the moon about their... Oh, well, they're voice actors, and they're this and that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Uh, I'm a big fan of voice acting as an art form. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it doesn't really offend me. But then again, you know, I, I am biased because my my general default gaming attitude has always been an archer like, woohoo! You know, airboat! Ah. <laughs> uh, Would not be complete without an archer reference. Yeah. Lana! He remembers me! Uh, you know, that level of crazed enthusiasm is pretty much how I feel about almost all games almost all the time. And it, it bleeds over into multiple forms of media, books, movies, uh, TV shows, whatnot. You know, 
I'm in general woohoo mode all the time. So, yeah, I mean, three cheers for a positive attitude. I, I feel bad that there are some people who I, I think attitudinally are just taking away from their own ability to have fun. Yeah. You know, it's just like, wow, let it go, man. Uh, roll with it. You know, my, my approach is more holistic. True enough. All right, well... Uh, we're going to get on uh, here. We don't have any call-ins tonight, which uh, is just going to get us right to topic. So we're going to take a quick break here and do a little pan of the bills with some advertisement. And then we'll be right back with our tonight Tuesday topic for tonight. And you can expect no less from the shadowy cabal of gaming podcasts. Ooh, timely. All right, so stick around. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, yeah, back after the break. So we decided tonight, for what's our topic, topic, topic? Uh, no kimono fluttering today. We're just going to launch right into it. That, oh, the, okay. The Kiyotam's topical ointment of topic. Ah, good. Wheel of topic, turn, turn. Tell us today what topic we will learn. Well, all right. Uh, so we're going to talk about experience points. And, Classic. Yeah, and we're going back to uh, the well, so to speak. And we're also taking a look forward to where it's, where it's been, where it's going, and kind of where it's gone as well. Um, all kind of three eras. Uh, kind of starting off with, uh, of course, how experience points used to be done, and nowadays how it uh, is being done, and even how people are changing with it and yeah, running there, it differently. There's some evolutions happening that I mean they they've been contentious to some people because, uh, and let's face it. The, the two people in this podcast at this moment are crusty old gamers of yesteryear, and we remember the way it was done, and we're pretty darn fond of it. That having been said, we got one foot in the old world and one foot in the new, and I'm not unilaterally opposed to the way things are evolving. Uh, people are starting to phase out the core concept of the experience point based level system for character development and growth uh, and move to a more experiential goal oriented. Yeah. So we're, we're going to flash back to the beginning and then work our way to where things are at now. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a free form, but we're also going to remain solely on the topic of experience points and how they affected the classes, DMing and players. Yeah, so let's let's just kick it right out of the gate. All right, yeah. We're going to start, you know, pre-first edition, the evolution of the experience point. How did people measure whether a character moved or gained strength through their survival of various challenges? And the experience point came into play as a way to assign some form of metric uh, that could be counted on. And you had the early chainmail-type games, uh, and the very earliest incarnation of D&D used the experience point as a way to measure. You went through this many challenges, you have accumulated this many points, you cross a certain little threshold here or there, and voila, you move up another level, you gain access to do well, hit points, uh, mm -hmm. relative measurement of your, your physical prowess and strength. Uh, you are more likely to hit things when you are in combat with them with your character. Uh, and this process 
became entrenched in the core concept of the game and then followed suit into the world of video games and even board games. Uh, so D&D &D yeah. had a you know, big outsized impact uh, on the way in which popular gaming came into being. The, the idea of you achieve this much, you gain a level, and your character becomes stronger. Uh, very Nietzsche-esque kind of you know, that which does not kill me only makes me stronger. Or gives me more experience points. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the D&D game uh, and the first edition kind of deserves a different uh, a little mention of its own, but we'll keep it brief. <clears throat> Basically, the character classes were all measured in different charts of experience points. Fighters were kind of the baseline with uh, your magic users and clerics having a little easier time, and then later the rogues. Also having a less amount of experience points kind of seen as, well, that was a game balance because they didn't have very many hit points and they weren't the best at fighting, but they were cunning. And if motivated properly, they could be, uh, they can contribute not just to finding the traps and disarming them, but they could also um, bend a combat encounter going one way or another by their backstabs or hiding and scouting, providing intelligence and information. So... It was kind of felt that like that was a game balance system, and then it got a little bit more stratified when they added more classes. Uh, paladins and rangers had different uh, experience point. Druids, monks had a pretty hefty one to go through. Assassins, not so bad. Yeah, so you wound up with this real hodgepodge of any table with a variety of characters. Uh, if there was a wide variety of classes... Uh, employed in that particular game by your players, you wound up with this wide range of experience points where one of them needs, you know, 5,000 points to get from this level to that level. Another needs 3,000 points to get from this level to that level. Another needs only 1,500. And still another only needs 1,200. At, it admittedly was overly complicated but there was an intention behind it, and it's exactly what you mentioned. It was to balance out the relative strengths of the classes. Uh, the powers and abilities that you got came with a cost. Uh, the fighter obviously had the most traditional role, uh, the simplest expectations. And Don't it, die. Yeah, but, you know, the, and Isn't that in exchange everybody for that, the widest array of equipment available to them. Uh, a lot of starting cash, good gear, um, and the most hit points, uh, at least in the earliest incarnation of the game. Now, Rangers came along with a little more hit Yeah, and we're that. talking about first edition and in the second edition, and as well as Unearthed Arcana. And of course, you'd be talking about, uh, with the 5,000 experience points, you'd be talking about barbarians and such oh. things like that. But we want to get right back into the meat of the matter as experience points. This was seen, uh, some characters would all have different experience point totals rather than just a lump sum. Now, while they're receiving the same amount, certain things like magic items and even class performing to the expectations of your class and experience points bonus for high stats uh, gave everybody a different total out of that lump sum that they received at the end of a, a session. And worth mentioning, there were a wide variety of ways in the early editions of the game to divvy up experience points at the end of an adventure. In a few cases, uh, you know, there were systems where people would tally up 
what their individual character had done or accomplished during that game. Uh, and only the things where people worked together brought about a division yep. of XPs. So the individual magical items that you acquired went had experience points values that went to that character and that character alone. Uh, the equally divided cash at the end of an adventure, plus or minus whatever, like, say, for instance, the rogues cut. Yeah, thieves actually got more experience points per treasure that they stole. Yes. Yeah, little little perk there for the rogue to... Yeah, they got double the experience points garnered from treasure that they stole. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it could get pretty chaotic. Now, uh, <laughs> uh, barbarians, for instance, could get extra experience points for destroying uh, magical-type items that were, you know, oh, it is a scroll of dark magic. I will burn it. And the mage is just crying in the background. No! Uh, not all magic is dark. Speaking of dark arts, pass the gravy. Mm. Uh, and it was not an easy system for a DM to manage, but people did it. Oh, yeah. It was part of the, it was part of the job. You just... You engineered ways to smooth out bruised egos, uh, provide opportunities for players that were running behind to catch up, you know, like a little extra value for them here and a little extra value for this guy over here. And you would do that so that everybody was more or less raising similar levels and at a similar level of strength as the campaign wear on. It, this was not easy. I gotta hand it, you know, the evolution that was coming was kind of called for. Yeah, it carried forth to second edition. They kept more or less the same experience points tables, a little bit more uh, tidied up. But they also kind of standardized experience points a little bit more, and that kind of led to where third edition was. As third edition did one of the great big changes to Dungeons & Dragons. It changed it to a singular experience points table. Everybody used the same experience points table. Yeah, no matter what you were, uh, you know, and I'm just going to use an arbitrary number, let's say 2,000. Right. All right. Every single member of the party needs exactly 2,000. No matter what they are, the mage, the cleric, the rogue, what have you, doesn't matter. You still The barbarian, the jester. Yeah. Oh, just kidding. You all got to hit 2,000. Uh, and this encouraged the party divvying up experience points equally. So you tallied up the value of the challenges they faced as a group that night. Uh, you know, 100 points worth of goblins slain, 300 points worth of orcs defeated. Uh, yeah, you use the challenge rating system, which... And you negotiated your way past a 1,500-point dragon. Uh, yeah. You know, and you tally up all those points at the end and divide it by the number of characters you had at the table. So... Long division, always a popular side sport in D&D. &D. Uh, mm -hmm. But much more equitable encouraged cooperation at the table instead of, I just totally backstabbed Steve because I only need a thousand points to get to the next level. And well, uh, he had a sword worth exactly that much. So. <laughs> well, Steve was a jerk, so he had it coming. Um, besides, he still owes me 500 gold pieces. I executed a doppelganger test. Well. So yeah, um, you know, no longer did Magicons incur or give us experience point penalty. That was contentious for a number of years in the D and D scene, AD and D scene, especially. Like, how does having a magic item give you more experience? And you know, to wit, 
with which we would say, well, you know, having a wand, you discover more about magic and the arcane arts so with a sword. Maybe you don't get as much as a wizard with, a, with his new wand, but you do learn a little bit about the nature of enchantment and also its use makes you more uh, confident and grants you a certain amount of prowess, which translates to some experience points. That and, I mean, honestly, uh, the other option was for people to sell things for their cash value. Uh, you know, if, if in the division of spoils, much like with a pirate ship, you know, <laughs> uh, what does the fighter really need with a magical wardrobe that conjures forth whatever you desire from it, uh, as long as it's clothing? Um, but it is saleable for, like, you know, 2,000 gold, so yeah, I'm pawning that down at the, uh, the marketplace as soon as I lug that home. Uh, yeah, nobody else wanted it. Turn it into cash. Uh, and the measurements of what constituted experience were partly that these were the spoils of battle. You know, these were the things you acquired uh, and your good fortune in acquiring them was measured as experience points. Uh, that you became acquainted with new experiences, more worldly, more, you know, prepared for whatever is coming next. Uh, having highly adaptable characters with considerable worldliness and experience. They know all about stuff like yellow mold and trolls. Huh. <laughs> and, Always have a source of fire handy. And, you know, chests that speak and eat you. Um, and tables that turn into horrifying monsters. Oh, never mind. That was the absent. Kicking <laughs> in. Oh, mimics. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> We're doing fine on level five until the acid kicked in. <laughs> oh, we can't stop here. This is Mobat country. Mobat, exactly. I didn't bother telling a poor bastard about them. He'll find out about them soon enough. Oh, no, that was the chaos of D&D &D fading. And as much as I miss the unique quality that that brought to games, uh, the randomness, the, like, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. Everybody yeah. was at a different level. Uh, yeah, you would have, like, you know, your fighter maybe at second, just knocking at third, your cleric uh, third, maybe going almost to fourth, and the magic user, you know, just hoping to, you know, at some point in this century, break second level. And, uh, you know, and your thieves are like, ha-ha, we're, like, almost fifth level, dude. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It had a certain charm to it uh, that I think is missing in the current incarnation of the game, which I... I a big fan of retro gaming and bringing that back to life so that people get a sense of where the game came from. That having been said, I was not completely hostile to the usefulness, the, the flexibility, uh, the ease of the new systems post third edition. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not, that was not an aspect that offended me. I, I had some other issues here and there uh, making that transition to third edition, but this was not a thing I disapproved of. Yeah, and Pathfinder uh, even put it, uh, kicked it into a, another uh, niche all by itself, excuse me. <clears throat> and they uh, put it into slow, uh, medium, or standard progression, or fast progression. So, depending on what kind of campaign you wanted and how long you're going to be running it for, 
you could adjust at the start of a campaign, either slow progression, you know, if you really wanted to play out each level and, you know, make the players really work for it and it's going to be a long campaign, or you could do a standard, the, basically the, the mid, mid-range, mid and then you could do a fast one if you were just going to, you know, so you wanted to zoom up the level so they could get up to higher levels faster. Yeah, and they took a nod from uh, the video game industry, which had gone directions with the core concepts from these games. Uh, that the games themselves had never initially contemplated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of, you know, we're, we're playing this on the low setting, yeah. where, you know, the challenge is not going to be as great, but you're obviously not going to rack up the XPs very quickly. You won't need all that extra power. Uh, and then the, you know, standard mode, which, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the uniform standard of, like, how the game is intended to play out uh, in its most normative circumstances... And then finally, of course, the, you know, crash and bang mode where you're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of explodies. We're, we're going to blast right through this. You are totally going to need those extra levels because we are going to plow through this entire campaign series in record time. And, you know, by the end of like three months from now, you had better be 14th level. Right. You're all going to get stopped. Uh, having the different modes and settings went from being, you know, D- D&D inspired so many things in video games, and then the video games, in turn, wound up inspiring the people making the role-playing games. And I, I thought the uh, the feedback loop there was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. And, you know, more to the point, it, it'll let the uh, Dungeon Master establish what and how fast the campaign was going to move at and how the players are going to progress. And also that the players would have an idea of what's going to be expected of them. Obviously, if you're going to use fast experience points, you're not going to have a lot of time to sit there at levels and uh, think about how you're going to itemize and maximize your character builds. You're going to have to keep going as fast as you can, as fast as the campaign moves. And sometimes it can move fast, sometimes it can move slow. Again, that was the whole thing with experience points, which were based in the challenge rating system, which made... It kind of having a dual purpose. Like one was to gauge the strength of the encounter, but then also each encounter in its strength gives more experience points the tougher it is. And so those worked hand in hand. And it really, again, for a lot of people back in uh, looking backwards in the rec- retro gaming days, a lot of people tend to, I don't want to say fetishize, but I think they abnormally obsess over how perfect it was. And sure, there's a lot of fun and mystery to it, but it didn't emerge fully formed out of the heads of the original creators of the game because they were also learning as they were creating. Yeah, uh, this... No one anticipated a Spanish Inquisition. Um, uh, no, nobody foresaw D&D going as large as it did, as quickly as it did. Uh, it's not like they weren't trying hard to get it out there and to see how popular it could become. But it began as a niche hobby... And it really, even in the heyday of its success, was still a niche hobby. Uh, Just a more published, uh, more available niche hobby. And that didn't really change. So uh, to have it suddenly become a national sensation uh, was an entirely... Right, but they also... It happened in these people's lifetime. Like, just... Fifteen years go by, and in between starting off and the end of that fifteen-year period, uh, 
you saw this incredible level of growth uh, by 1990. Uh, <laughs> they were discovering, exploring, refining, things like that, because honestly, it's, I'm not saying they were slapping it together and winging it completely. They sat down and they put a lot of homework in and they argued and they, they drafted concepts and pitched them over and over again. But the game kept evolving and the measurement systems by which we uh, raise character levels and things like that uh, also evolved with them. So it, it was a very holistic process. It was, not, it was, as you said, it was not fully formed, uh, you know, sprung from the head of Zeus. Uh, no. It no. changed gradually and slowly over a period of time um, with even some dungeon masters refusing to allow experience points from anything other than combat or direct uh, exploitation or taking a treasure from out of a dungeon successfully to, uh, you know, if you role played and you got past the encounter, well, that was just it. You just, you know, that was your benefit. You didn't have to fight it and lose any uh, hit points or risk losing anything valuable or using your resources like healing potions. Yeah. A long time ago, there were no rewards for bribing your way out of things. Like yeah, uh, this was seen as kind of like, eh, that's what happened. Oh, you know, you don't kill the dragon, you don't get the XPs. Uh, that's your motivation there, buddy. Uh, let's see some dragon whacking, you know. We yep. want him down. A little less jaw jacking, a little bit more hacking, you're going to be going up a few levels. But I want to see that dragon legless. Uh. But as with all things, um, people began to modify the rules. And out of that modification and experimentation, yeah, we're talking about experimentive gaming, uh, other game masters began coming up and communicating with each other that, you know, I give out experience points based on half value for defeating it and not out of combat. And that kind of gave players like, oh, you know, that's not so bad. You know, to where now if you defeat a creature uh, by guile or stealth or um, duplicity, then you're able, or just to point out uh, flim flam bullshit, you're able to uh, get a full share of the treasure from, or treasure, experience points from it because. Well, you used your wits. So the evil mage in charge of the you know, city guild uh, has not been slain, but you revealed his treachery, defamed him, got him removed from his position, and cast out of the guild and is leaving the city in tatters with his reputation shot. You accomplished your goal. You defeated him. He is no longer a threat in that traditional sense. Uh, Although he may alive. return, he may return later. Yeah, and uh, as a DM, I got to say, I love a new scenario where where a good villain can come back. You know, just to you know bring him back like uh, a recurring nightmare. You know, and you want to wait a few levels till people forget that he was like, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> and, uh, now at last, my revenge fully unfolds. Uh, yeah. Okay. Lots of fun for the DM. But again, the point was, it is possible to neutralize an opponent without combat and death being essentially evolved, and it doesn't have to be all storytelling. There can be a lot of dice rolling to achieve that end. Uh, and that deserves a reward, too. Mm -hmm. uh, I love watching players scheme well. So having a system where uh, the decision-making process they go through and the you know, thoughtfulness that they use in approaching a situation is also rewardable. I like that. I am not out of the, I'm not out of the loop on that one. I think that's good gaming. 
Yeah, and other systems had used things like plot points or uh, in Deadlands, the chips, where you got you could turn your chips in for experience points at the end of the game. Cash in your chips. Yep. So that allowed you uh, to translate some of the success of a game into uh, experience points where so you could uh, not level up your character, but increase your character's uh, skills and abilities. So it'd be tougher and stronger and all that. And, you know, uh, RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu, used the experience system from you have to roll over uh, your current skill. Every time you use a skill, you put a little check, and then at the end of the game, you roll your skill and you know, that you use successfully during your game that night. And if you uh, roll over it, you have learned something, so you increase that by a uh, roll. Yeah, and that brings us, you know, we've discussed the difference between skill-based systems, right. where skill improvements uh, determine your status, rather than levels and XPs. Uh, another facet of, frankly, creative people trying to break out of the XP box, uh, which, unintentional byproduct... Because it was such a simple, easy metric by which to measure right. uh, a character's achievements and their relative strength and growth, uh, it rapidly crossed over into everybody else's systems. It was not a thing that was published like, only D&D has experience points. The concept was out there, and so everybody used it. And frankly, I mean, it certainly lent a lot of popularity to D&D just by you know cross-pollination there. Mm -hmm. Everybody was like, yeah, I got this, and you know, some of the inspiration here is from D&D. Well, like Traveler, RuneQuest, and uh, the basic role-playing system that went into Call of Cthulhu, they had a different form of experience. And so, you know, all all's well, not trying to make any Yeah, using grand your comparison. skills, acquiring wealth. You know, Traveler was very non-XP related. It was, yeah. It was the very material things of the world that determined your status, wealth, power, uh, beefing up your existing skills, which was very hard to do. Yes. Uh, you did not lightly go from uh, Vac Suit 1 to Vac Suit 2. It took time and effort. Yeah, you actually had to be spacewalking a lot to get that kind and of And also practicing. you had to train. Yeah, train intensely and spend money to train. Uh, Traveler was rough in that respect. I, it was one of the things I liked about it. You want to get... I want to get up to Carbine 3 so I can really, you know... Pelt the monsters on that uh, jungle planet. Mm. Oh boy, you're going to be blowing your budget on range time, pal. <laughs> yep, but um, getting back to the uh, core D&D experience point system, um, where we're at now is there's some contention whether uh, experience points should just be uh, delegated uh, arbitrarily or um, done away with altogether and just uh, through... Certain plot points and story awards given uh, players level up, like after defeating the big bad monster in the woods or in the dungeon. Yeah. Clearing out the level or something like that. It's been moving in a direction where it's very goal-oriented in this more recent incarnation of the game. And I don't wholly disapprove. Uh, I, I have a little nostalgia for the way it was. But they're setting very clear goals in an adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a series of challenges with this result as the most favorable result, uh, and that should be your ending. And if you can get the players to accomplish things so that they meet those terms and they have overcome those challenges, 
then they get this set reward at the end of it. Uh, and I, I gotta say, it's opened the door to make things a lot easier for newly arriving DMs. Uh, if, if you have been gaming for 25 or 35 years, you probably already have this skill set and this experience, and you could iron this out on your own and find your own way. But, and I mean, if you're 14 and you just opened a box set, this system is a lot friendlier to navigating that yeah. as an arriving gamer. And I am not hostile to that, because the complexity sometimes drives people away in the older editions. And also, uh, it was easy to weigh or give out too much or give out too little. There was It was a kind of thing that you had to learn. There was a certain zen to it. What is too much? What is too little? Well, if it's too much, it's hard to take it away. If they're not getting enough, well, that's easily solved. You can just give a little bit more. But still, that may, in the meantime of playing, lead to them, uh, the players dying or suffering uh, great setbacks. So, again, it comes down to a certain nature of knowledge and also familiarity with the system, as well as in how a game ebbs and flows as you play it. And, of course, which can only be done by experiencing it. Where there is this system of giving away experience points or levels, as you were, uh, by just uh, simply arbitrarily achieving goals or set conditions, just like at this point in the campaign, the players will level up because they've achieved this much. Then, okay, I'm fine with that too because you know what? It's still doing the same thing. The players have to get a certain level of accomplishment and achievements done in order to get to this next stage. Yeah, this is not exactly... Uh, despite cries to the contrary, this is not a complete giveaway system. Uh, you can scale up and start off at a certain level, which people have always done that. Yeah. Like, all right, we're starting this at like fourth level because I don't want all of you to die tonight. Yeah, I want to get into the middle of this campaign so your characters are already pretty well established or at least moderately experienced enough that the first few encounters aren't going to kill you. Yeah, and to give a little flashback... Uh, I, I, I'm i going to assume that this was fairly common. I mean, this is a thing I ran into in a lot of cons. Uh, and occasionally at, like, local tables. Uh, most players had a few folders handy with them with a stack of player characters uh, for different occasions. Like, okay, over here I got a 4th level illusionist. Over here I have an 11th level thief. Uh, over here I've got a 7th level fighter. What kind of campaign is this? What is your party makeup? What should I pull out of the folder and play tonight with this new group that I've just met? Uh, who's going to fit in and be most useful? So that was not uncommon in that era. Uh, and now you hit a table with a group of new players. Uh, the system is a lot quicker mm -hmm. in terms of like phasing the new arrival in. Uh, leveling them up, essentially matching their XP level to the rest of the party, and then launching right into play. So the streamlining has had a positive effect overall. Some of the uniqueness has been lost, uh, and obviously I lament that, but I'm not, I'm not where I would call it upset. So No, I mean, and I think that it's always good to have a different approach and a different variety, a toolkit of various ways that you can run a campaign, just like that slow midline progression and uh, uh, fast track to experience points. 
determining how and when you want to play. If you don't play very often, obviously, the experience points you get are going to have to go a little further. Yeah. But if you meet quite a bit and you're playing quite often, then maybe having a slow progression would be the best way. And, you know, none, and if nothing else, just assume the default to midline. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a weekly group uh, and you're going to be playing almost constantly uh, with very few interruptions, you can easily afford to have a slow-paced campaign with a long, slow builds to the higher levels. Uh, however, you guys can only meet once a month or once every two months or something like that. Uh, you may want a big crash and bang where mm-hmm. you know, we're going to pound out a bunch of action, streamline it, uh, launch right into the tough parts, kick ass, take names, and then pack up, head home, and we'll see each other again in a couple of months. Uh, that's when... This yeah. new pacing is really, I think it's effective and useful and a good tool for a DM. And along with that, adding some new tools like, okay, uh, you progress, uh, you level up when you achieve certain conditions inside the campaign or achieve certain goals. Yeah. That is also another useful tactic, I think, that just works. And You're working your way through the mini-bosses that increase in difficulty as you go, and this session's mini-boss was this guy, you level up. Post adventure. Okay, yeah, you save the princess from the dragon and you bring her back to the king. And hey, guess what? You're feasted and you all gain a level from the notoriety and uh, conditions of defeating a dragon. Everybody talks about you. So, yeah, and hey, remember some of the, the wacky elements of the first edition of D&D is that there were events that could pop a level uh, undeserved out of nowhere. Uh, whether it was oh, yeah. cashing in a wish, which was a pretty rare thing. Uh, magic pools of various kinds. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Uh, You're very right there. There Books, artifacts, and things like that. Um, You know, there were... Even portals. Yeah, you could accidentally, like, wait, I read this book and I gained a level? Oh, this is awesome. Uh, Or I flipped this card in the deck of many things, and and not only did I not die, I totally got a level. You know, Uh, that happened. So you could wind up with, like, you know... My fighter is like ninth level in a sixth level party just because I had three lucky accidents. Uh, that wackiness has been tamed a little bit, but it's still not it's, completely gone. Yeah, it's gone. not gone. And it can always happen. I mean, nothing stops you as the DM from doing whatever it is in your campaign. Yeah. So if you like some of the old school elements, by all means, use them. Um, I just think that having a toolkit, a selection to pull from, is always ideal because you never know what kind of campaign you're going to run. But um, nobody running, loses. Nobody loses when uh, when you you know exercise creativity uh, with a, tempered with a little bit of prudence. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But running. Yeah. 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 Speaking, speaking of running, running. Uh, we probably run out your patience as well as our time limit here. So we're gonna rein it in and corral it and uh, pack it away. So here at the Dice Streaming Podcast, we provide a variety of. Methods to get a hold of us, why you can get a hold of us on Facebook, on the Dicey Screaming Facebook page. You can also get a hold of us at Twitter, at me at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Vox. Right, as well as you can download the Anchor app and leave us a message. And uh, we'll get you on the show and get your message out there for all tens of our fans. Tens! tens our throng of tens! To uh, listen to. So feel free to give us your comments and questions and concerns, because I know you got many. And uh, let us know what you think and what you'd like us to talk about. Well, rest assured, we'll be coming back at you Friday with uh, some more. Uh, it's Freeform Friday, so we don't even know what we're doing here. It's just crazy. It's all up in the air. Oh, so. yeah. Well, you know, we, we have loose plans. 
Uh, much like any good DM. You we know, laughingly call we have them plans. vague ideas. There, <laughs> that, are hint, there are hints and allegations. I think that's being too generous. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Without further ado, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.